What up, Faith Fellowship? What's up? Oh, man, I got some what's ups. That's great. When uh, Dell, a couple of uh, months ago, I don't know, six or seven, uh, asked me to start teaching once a month, I said, how long do you want me to do that? And he said, you know, to the rapture. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a it, it's a weird rapture not in the Bible and it's only for Sneeds. It's very odd. That's my best joke of the of the whole day. So if you guys didn't laugh, then you have a long 30 minutes ahead of you. Uh, if you'll be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 119, we've been in the book of Psalms, and I'm very excited about that. The 119th chapter, of course, talks about the magnificent word of God, and that's where we're going to be continuing our look today. So I'm going to take a sip of water, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. Is that cool? Oh, man, thank you. Gosh, man. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right, so Lord, uh, God, I need your help, man, because I'm tasked with communicating uh, your word today. And Lord, I had a good time uh, just hanging out with you, Lord, early in the morning and going through this psalm over and over. And so... Uh, God, I pray that you would remove me out of the situation, that we would just be able to very clearly see what your word tells us, commands us, encourages us to do. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. All right. So um, let's go ahead and we'll start just by reading the passage uh, in its entirety, and then we'll just take a few minutes to break it down. So Psalm 119, uh, starting in verse 33, it says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statues, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in thy way. Establish thy word unto thy servant, who is devoted to thy fear. Turn away my reproach, which I fear, for thy judgments are good. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts, quicken me in thy righteousness. So if you are uh, taking notes, um, and if you remember from previous times of us in the Psalms, we've been starting with just a simple outline. Uh, this outline isn't definitive. Um, it's just a way in which helped me to process what was going on. And so the, the outline uh, for this particular uh, section would be verses 33 to 34, which would be about instruction. Verses 33 through 34 are going to be about instruction. Uh, verses 35 through 39 are that instruction applied. And then verse 40, that instruction is valued. And one thing that we've been talking about is the reason why we outline passages is not just to have nerdy things to put in our Bibles, although you can do that because I'm a nerd and I do that. Uh, but the reason why we do it is so that we can very succinctly understand what's happening here. When you can tell somebody in 30 seconds, hey, here's what kind of happens in this passage, in this chapter, in this book, in the entire Bible, well, then that means that you know it. And so I'd highly encourage you, if that's not part of your study habit, then do that. If you're reading from time to time and you're just, man, instead of Netflix, you turned on Leviticus, then go fight when. Do that. It's a great book. You can read right through it. But sometimes you need to study, and sometimes that means you need to do some work. That's why the Bible commands us to study. So this is going to be how we're looking at this today. And I want to start off with 
because this is so instruction focused, the idea of being a teachable man or woman of God, and we'll just, we'll just touch on this very briefly, but I'm in a reflective mood because I'm leaving. And so uh, I've got some more things to say about this, but I want you to notice the verbs that are used in this passage related to what God does. And remember, as Mark Trotter has told us time and time again, the key to the word of God are the words of God. So don't skip over the words. They're purposeful and they have meaning. We see teach in verse 33, give in verse 34, make in verse 35, incline in verse 36, turn in verses 37 and 39, quicken in verse 37 and 40, establish in verse 38. We see these very specific words that are actionable that God does, right? But we also see some words that man kind of should be responsible for. So we should compare that to keep in verse 37 and 38, observe in verse 34, delight in verse 35. One of uh, the first conversations I remember having with Dell was randomly at a Panera Bread. And apparently I was super single because we had a two hour conversation. That's like, that's like a Kaya thing to do, you know what I mean? You meet at, meet at coffee and talk for like four hours. But we, but we were talking about just like random hip hop stuff. So uh, that's, that's one of our, our shared uh, affinities. At least, you know, 10 years ago, I don't know what hip hop is now. It's a lot of like, it's a lot of sound effects now, I've noticed. <sighs> a lot of those types of things, you know what I mean? That's what I hear a lot. I don't listen to it, but that's what I hear. But one of the things, if you've ever been to a hip hop show, is they're, they're really big on like call and response, right? Work in the crowd. And so it would not be uncommon for, for someone to say, everybody say, yeah. yeah. There it is, cool. Oh man. Guys, you see how long I, I, I teed that up? It's making sure we knew there's, a, there's something to do. But so when you go to a hip hop show, man, you know, cool, man. Like that's my key. That's the call I need to respond. Well, we should be responding in a certain way to God's word. And we see some very specific words that we're gonna explore. We need to keep, we need to observe, we need to delight. Otherwise you're at God's hip hop show and you're crickets whenever he says, everybody say praise. And there's nothing there. So you gotta make sure, right? All right, so you, you, you guys are with me? Are we understanding? Cool. So verses 34 through 35, let's start with the instruction. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. God is a God who instructs. God is a God who guides. So we need to be listening. It's very important. God is a teacher, and he teaches all throughout. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, the first mention of the word teaches in Exodus a lot of first mentions earlier on in the Bible, but Exodus chapter four, verse 12, God speaking to Moses, telling him what's going to happen coming in the future, particularly as it relates to him going to Egypt to reclaim God's people through the man Moses. Now, therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus speaking says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart. We need to learn from God, which means that we need to be taught by him. 
of course, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit's uh, role in our understanding and learning. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And I love the fact that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all teach us. Man, I love it. God's about teaching. We see it all through the Bible. So what that means is that when we are responding, we need to do so often, consistently. That word to keep, if we were to go and look at the first mention of that, we'll see that in Genesis 1:27, where man is tasked with keeping the garden. It also means to guard, to protect. That requires active vigilance, and we need to be active and vigilant in the keeping of God's word. And so I want to talk to you very briefly about some practical ways in which we can keep God's word. And this is coming from the perspective of someone who's a slow learner and is just now doing some of these things to my shame, but also someone who's leaving a very strong and healthy church to go to another very strong and healthy church, but a younger church. And so take it from someone who's been at Midtown for a while. These are things that if you just start doing them or continue doing them, they will help you. And the first thing is just simply journaling. Hey, dudes, you need a journal. Like I'm talking to literal men dudes, not just like the pervasive, like I'm a dude, he's a dude, she's a dude, and we're all dudes. Yeah. Do you guys remember that song? I got one. That's all I need. If I get one person that tells me that I'm doing it right, don't care what else anybody says, I'm good. We need to be able to actively chronicle what the Lord has done in our life. Time and time again, the nation of Israel is instructed, hey, when this happens and God delivers you, what you need to do is get a big old pile of rocks and pile them on one top of the other. And then when generations come down and your kids are walking by and they go, yo, what's up with these rocks? You can say, hey, The Lord delivered us with a mighty hand. That's what you need to do. You need a pile of rocks in your life. You need an altar in your life. You need something that you can point back to objectively that will stand the test of time that isn't your feelings, your emotions, your dumb friend Sally that doesn't have any good opinions about anything. You need to have a place where you can stand firm and say, I know what the Lord did and he's good. Does that make sense? A journal is like you telling you how awesome he is. It might be a good idea for you to do. Cool? So journaling, man, it's great. Another one, note-taking. Note-taking. And now everybody not taking note feels super awkward. (laughs) I got a special note on this. So take notes however you want, man. I'm not here to tell you how to take notes, but I will tell you that that MBT has a pretty specific way in which uh, we encourage people to take notes. If you can go to the next slide. Uh, Right now, Sam Miles is going through Genesis, and he's going through it expositorily. That means that he's starting at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then working to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and so on and so forth. And when you find a church, a class, anyone who's going through the book expositorily, what that means is that they can't go, eh, I don't really want to teach about this, so we'll skirt around it. I don't show you this as an example of how you ought to take notes. I'm weird and I went to art school and I'm particular, so that's how I take notes. What I'm telling you is is that some of you have been attending this church for a year, for two years, for five years, of eight years. And because we go through books expositorily, you should have a library of commentary from your lead pastor by now. If you don't, 
shame on you, and also take some notes. It's real simple. You should probably be taking notes. It's amazing. The fact that you can go read commentaries on Matthew Henry, Warren Wearsby, Michael Ironside, and man, those are cool dudes. I also don't know any of them. Can't talk to any of them. And I got to do a doctrinal trek every single time I read their stuff because that's what you should do. But man, it's really cool that, oh, I know Sam and I can talk to Sam. Oh, and Sam taught me my doctrine. So I think we're good. You should probably take some notes. Does that make sense? Cool. Super practical. Point number three, Bible marking. Okay. I got a lot of things to say about this and I won't because uh, Del Thomas, my discipler, and Kurt Osborne, my disciple, were making fun of me last small group for talking a lot about Bibles. Okay, guys, you know what? I like Bibles. I like researching them. I like knowing about the GSM papers. I like knowing about the leather. I like knowing about how the book is bound. I like all of that stuff, and that's great. But what's more important than that is that if you have the opportunity and it doesn't weird you out, you should probably maybe write in your Bible a little bit. Again, as a very practical tool, it can function as journaling, it can function as note-taking, uh, but what it can also function as is a very, very easy way to be able to open up your Bible and see what God is teaching you. If you guys could go to the next slide, I've put this up here as an example because, again, we are going through Genesis expositorily, and Pastor Sam blew my freaking mind off because the first three days of Genesis also picture the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm an idiot. I'm not going to find that, but he did, so I'll write it down and take credit for it later. This is great. <laughs> Other people are doing the work. Other people are doing the work, man, so we might as well benefit, right? So this is going to lead us all to our first key question, which is this. How are you guarding what God is giving you in his word? Is it just one ear out the other? Did it not even make it in through your ear? Did you think about writing it down but didn't? There's a lot of work and study. I can tell you from personal experience on the low end, eight hours to prep for a message. Average, 10 to 12 Sometimes 15 to 20. That's just how long it takes. And I'm not saying that because of whatever. I'm, that, that, that's just the data. So if you have people that are spending a part-time job, spending time with God and prepping a message multiple times a week, and we're just going, eh, yeah, that was good. Then, I don't know, maybe like rethink what you're doing with your life. <laughs> Reorient it to not lose these things. Because people have already done the work. Let's not lose it. The thing I'm losing, I lost an hour and I feel like I lost the past 15 minutes because that's the intro to the message. So <laughs> we're going to have to move quickly. Okay. Or as man, I love me some Mark Trotter. As he would say, you guys are going to have to listen faster. All right. So let's talk about verses 35 to 39 and uh, we'll move a little bit quickly here. Uh, Make me to go in the path of thy commandments for there and do I delight. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. One of the things that we see here very clearly is the surrender of the psalmist, the surrender of the psalmist, because in these two verses, the psalmist is asking for God to direct them in such a way that God, not the psalmist, is in control. Make me to go, incline or bend my heart, right? And we see this in the desire of the direction of their life, the make me to go, and their heart disposition, incline my heart. 
So we'll look at these two because I think they're really, really key. Make me to go. Uh, he says, make me to go in the path. A path is just a beaten track. It's a place that you've trodden before and before and before. And also notice that in verses uh, uh, 33 and 37, there's also a mention of uh, thy way. Uh, Teach me, O Lord, the way we see in verse 33. In verse 37, turn my, turn my eyes from vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. There is a road, there is a path that God would have you to travel, right? So often we want to decide where we want to go, but yet God has a path, he has a direction, he has a plan. One of the things that I, that I do from time to time when I hear an exceptionally good story, but I don't know how to use it, is I write it down. And I heard an exceptionally good story like over a year ago, and I wrote it down. And as I was preparing for this message, suddenly, because one thing in my life happened right, now all of my decisions are validated. This is great. I have the story. I now get to share it with you because it's great. Are you ready for this? You're going to see very clearly where this goes out. This is a true story. Happened about a year and a little bit of change ago. Three weeks ago, whew, I love it. Amanda Eller felt drawn to go to the Makawao Forest Reserve on the Hawaiian island of Maui to connect with nature and get grounded. So you know exactly where this is going from here. She had barely been to the park, hadn't been in months, but that day she was called to go. The 35-year-old physical therapist who had a whole day to herself figured she'd go for a three-mile hike and spend a couple of hours in the woods. Quote, I don't really know what happened, she said Tuesday morning, speaking to reporters while in a wheelchair. All I can say is that I have a strong sense of internal guidance, whatever you want to call that, a voice, a spirit. Everybody has a different name for it. My heart was telling me, walk down this path. Go left. Great. Go right. It was so strong. She said it turned out not to be nearly as strong after meditating on a log when she wanted to go back to her car. She tried one path. It didn't get her back to her car. She tried another, no luck, and another, and she came to the realization that she wasn't on a human path. She was on a boar path. She spent 17 days drinking water and eating berries, being stranded in the woods. And uh, so you would think, you know, like, hey, Maybe, maybe me deciding the path I want to go on, maybe that's like not worked out for me. Maybe I should like rethink my life and all my life choices, but not Amanda. <laughs> At that point, she says, I had no choice because everything looked the same. I said, the only thing I have is my gut. I don't have a compass. I don't have a cell phone. You dummy. You go to the middle of the forest reserve by yourself with no cell phone, no compass, no dummies. They make backpacks in 2020, just like they have for every single year prior. Oh, what a dummy. I'm sure she's a nice lady, but man, was this a bad decision. So she said, spirit, or whatever you want to pray to, she said, I need your help right now. She said she listened to her sense of guidance, which instead of taking her back to her car, took her on a five-mile journey, one she called a spiritual boot camp. Man, this lady don't learn nothing, is the moral of the story. Come on, now? That's ridiculous. Now, that's in a physical sense, but you know, because I have, you know a lot of us do that in a spiritual sense. We're lost in the woods and go, I just keep going down this path. You're going to end up in a wheelchair, 17 days stranded. And some of us are even delusional to think that that was good for us. What foolishness. No. The, the path literally means a road. You mean there's a road? There's a road that we can go down, not gravel. 
But a road, probably just go down the road. Save your tires. Save your, I don't know, what, what else is it? Like undercarriage, is that a thing? I'm looking at Kenny because he's like, he's the man that I look at when I need like an affirmation of like, is this a man thing? Cause... <laughs> okay, cool. Looking great, dude. Psalm 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's what happens when you start going your own way. Um, I, I, I like that sometimes you can, um, and not in a inspired sense, but just in a helping to understand what you're reading, you can kind of just state the inverse, because if there's a way which seemeth right unto the man, but the end of thereof are the ways of death, then the inverse is there is a way which is right unto God, and the end thereof are the ways of life. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is a path either in sanctification or in salvation. There is a right path for us to go down, and that is the path that follows Jesus wherever he goes in his word. Does that make sense? Don't be like Amanda. Incline my heart is the second thing that we see. Man, Guys, you got to listen even faster. The word incline, which means to kind of bend, appears 16 times in the Bible. This is my pitch for Bible study and, and, and Bible nerdery. You're going to see it. Uh, 16 times in the Bible, four of which are related to the heart, right? So you see them listed here. Psalm 119, 136, we just read, incline my heart unto thy testimonies. Psalm 141, verse 4, incline not my heart to any evil thing. Uh, uh, first Kings chapter eight, which you should go read. It's the dedication of the temple and just the prayer that Solomon gives is great. Uh, but he says, uh, the Lord, our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. He goes on and on and on. So these are great. Can you go back one? All right, you're good. Cool. So, uh, but the next one is really, really interesting. Uh, because it's in the book of Joshua and it's Joshua talking to the nation of Israel, right? So Joshua's at the end of his life. And he's, man, been a, a battle bot for the Lord. He's just been taking heads and taking land. And it's awesome. It's a book of conquest and battle. Listen to what, listen to what he commands the nation of Israel. Verse 22, and Joshua said unto the people, ye are witnesses against yourself. that Ye have chosen you, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord. God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. And I found this incredibly interesting because there are four times in which incline your heart is mentioned. And three of those times are people crying out, God, will you incline my heart? And one of those times, which is good and right, which is a leader saying, incline your hearts. And the nation of Israel saying, we will do it. Because after the book of Joshua is judges, judges, what do you think is going to happen when you get desperate enough to try and bend your heart to follow the Lord? You're going to fall on your face. That's a work that the Lord does. You couldn't change your heart before you got saved and you can't change it after you're saved, but you can beg God to incline your heart to follow his ways. And he wants you to do it. That's why he gives us a model. Did you know? That man, Psalms is like the greatest cheat sheet for prayer. If all you did was read it back to God with a heart that actually wants to see it and act it in your life, God would be okay with that. 
if that's all we did. So inclining your heart is not something that you need to just muster up and do. It's something that we need to be desperate for God to do in us. God is not once ever, ever, ever frustrated because there's another thing you can't do. God says, I already knew that. If you could do it, you would have done it, but you didn't. Praise the Lord that he's the Lord and he's dope and he knows exactly what you need. Again, hip hop reference. Any, you can blame Dell. He put me up here. So you can just blame him, okay? As long as I have a pastor, that's the pastor that will be blamed <laughs> for whatever weird is happening with me. All right, I also want you to notice the desire of the psalmist is not just that their heart is inclined unto God's testimonies, but also that it would be not inclined to covetousness. So Lord, bend my heart, please, towards your word, uh, but let it not bend towards covetousness. Now, taking a look at Exodus chapter 18, uh, what's, what's, what's really neat is uh, we, uh, we see the story of uh, Moses, and man, Moses is the dude, and that's great, but uh, Moses is super busy and overworked. Exodus 18, verses 13 through 14 says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, because he's awesome, and the people stood by Moses from the morning until the evening, all day. Can you imagine listening to people all day? Parents are like, yeah, actually, I can. <laughs> all day, man. <laughs> like, this illustration is not working in the, thing that you, the way that you think it is. For those of you single folks, this is, the struggle is real. All day. Verse 14, uh, and when Moses, his father-in-law, saw, uh, saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone and all the people stand by thee from morning to even? So this is the context of the passage, right? It's very, very important. Uh, skip forward to verse uh, 21. It says this, speaking about people that you, that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is saying, this, these are the type of people you need to help you. Uh, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. This is the first mention of the word covetousness in your entire Bible, and it tells us to hate it. That's the context of it. It's also very informative because whatever you think that like you're struggling against, the Lord can actually teach you to hate it, and that's good and right. It's good and right to hate sin. It is. And here, this is one of the requirements for the people that are going to help out Moses. Now, I'm talking to dudes for a second, actual dudes here in this room, because uh, you have a leader, you have a Moses that simply can't get to every single request all the time. And you also have pictures throughout the Bible of men that join alongside of other men to help them in the mission that God has for them. If you are here at Midtown Baptist Temple, then what that means is that God has a work for you to do and wishes to teach you from this place. And if you are in this fellowship and you're submitted here, that means that you have a leader. And if you do, then do what that leader says. I can attest from personal experience, he's not crazy. He's not Saul. There will be no javelins thrown at your head. But at some point, men, man up. And I don't mean that in you trying to puff out your chest. I mean that, biblically speaking, at some point, just submit to where you're at. That's it, man. Do you want to be used or not? It's not hard. Guys, I'm telling you, 
Midtown has been very, very informative for me because I came here not knowing and understanding how any of my Bible worked. I got discipled by Del and Serene and we started in 2013. Is it 2013? We finished up in 2014. I was 2014. At some point in the past, <laughs> we finished discipleship. I was taking D2 in 2015. I was on the discipleship team in 2016. What? The discipleship team, discipleship is the ministry. Last time I checked, like the great Christopher Walken says, I put on my pants one leg on a time. Except when I put on my pants, I'm submitted to my leadership. There was a mic I could drop right now. I'd do it and I'd walk <laughs> off. That felt good, y'all. Every now and again, I'm just like, man, that one felt good. Um, I'm not special. The guys in my small group know I'm not special. Uh, Dell's not special either. Neither is Sam. Neither is anybody. We have just people that are submitted. So men, I'm calling you out because I want you to submit to your leadership because God has a plan for you. And it's not hard. You just open up the Bible and you say, yeah, that makes sense. Yes and amen. I'm going to do that thing and let your leader guide you. Cool? Dudes, you cool? All right. A little less enthused than I would have liked, but we'll keep it moving. Amen. Thank you. So finally, key point number one, you can pursue what God hasn't given you or lay hold on what he has. You can pursue what God hasn't given you or lay hold on what he has. And just in case we were maybe even a little bit confused, about what it is that God has given you that's incredibly important. Let me do a double header key point in that key point number two is that God has given you his word. Key point number one, you can pursue what God hasn't given you or lay hold on what he has. And key point two is that God has given you his word. Does that make sense? It is 1012. We have a dope story to read, so let's do it. Turn to 2 Kings for a second. Okay, is that cool? All right. So as you're turning to 2 Kings, uh, I want you to remember in verse 37 what we read of uh, Psalms. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. So that's why we're turning to 2 Kings, because we see the psalmist again saying, hey, do something for me. Turn my eyes. Do this. Do that. Right. The psalmist is putting himself in a place of surrender. So in 2 Kings, uh, man, it's tragic. Uh, the nation of Israel is, through leadership of Moses, taken out of the land of Egypt, supposed to go into the promised land, hiccup in the wilderness 40 years later. Moses isn't going, but Joshua and Caleb are, and those guys are awesome. It, men, for a second here, if you want to study some awesome men, go study Joshua and Caleb. And go study Caleb, too. Caleb's that dude. He's that dude. Uh, <laughs> he's that dude. Um, but they're in the land. They kind of take it, but kind of don't. They have a series and cycles of sin and judges. They finally get to First and Second Samuel, and the kingdom is established. And then very quickly, the kingdom is divided into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. And we get kind of the end of this, the end of the uh, 
the actual uh, political, physical reign of the nation of Israel with any substance is kind of happening right now with where we're at. So that's a couple thousand years of history very, very quickly. Uh, but take a look at what it says in 2 Kings chapter 7. We'll actually start in verse 6. 17, thank you. Man, I see sevens. That man knows the Bible because he's like, that's the wrong place, bro. I appreciate it. 2 Kings chapter 17, I apologize. Uh, but in chapter 17, take a look at verse 6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away, uh, carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Habor, the river of Gozan, and then in the city of Mede. So this is uh, them being deposed of their uh, land and kingdom. For so it was, verse 7, that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he feared other gods and walked in the statues of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and out of the kings of Israel, which they had made. Think about this for a second. The nation of Israel comes into the land and the Lord kicks out the inhabitants of the land who are following after idols. And then Israel goes, yeah, I'll take that idol, puts it in its pocket and rolls with it. What audacity. But, but don't be too quick to judge. Look in a mirror. Verse 8, and walked in the statutes of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places in all their cities from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them. They had a visual picture of exactly the road that they were on and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. Verse 12, for they served idols where the Lord had said unto them, ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all seers saying, turn ye from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Man, one thing that used to hack me off is people that got so frustrated by the Old Testament wrath, God. One, wrath is good. It means that God is just. Two, everybody had opportunities to repent over years in decades, thousands of years, repent, turn around, do this. No, we're good. No, we're good. No, we're good. Have it your way. You can Burger King your life if you want, but I've never had a good meal at Burger King. Let me tell you that. <laughs> if Burger King is your favorite fast food joint, it's okay to be wrong. You don't have to tell anybody about it. You can just keep that in your heart. <laughs> Verse 14, notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers. that They did not believe in the Lord their God. Now we get to the heart of it. Some of us just simply don't believe God. So verse 15, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers, foolishness that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain. You will follow 
vanity, then you will become vain. So the psalmist begging God to turn his eyes away from beholding vanity. There are some directions that you're not even supposed to look. Don't even look that way, man. And again, that's not a thing that I have to muster up. That's the thing I can beg God for. You know, spiritually speaking, there's just some things I don't want to see. My curiosity isn't worth my sanctification. It's not worth my holiness. So maybe I should just not do that thing. We need to understand that there are some things that we just need to turn ourselves away from because they are not worth it. So I want to end with this. Uh, we're going to jump down to verse 40 because we see here instruction is, is, is valued. Verse 40 says, Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken thou me in thy righteousness. And a good, uh, a good thing to be aware of is that this is the heart of someone that wants to be taught. Longing after the Lord's precepts. That's not just like I'm, I'm casually interested in. I'll attend your Bible study because I'm curious. This is a desperation that comes from knowing that when you open up the word of God, that you hear the very heartbeat of God. If we can't get excited to long after God's word, which has been settled in heaven forever, which is preserved by the strength, the sovereignty, and the authority of God himself superintended throughout thousands of years, passed down from generation to generation to generation, never corrupted, not once, always perfect, and which you hold in your hands or place on your bookshelf or gathers dust on your coffee table. If we can't get excited about that word of God, man, come talk to me after class. I'll pray for you. And also open your eyes and pay attention because God's got gold in this book absolute gold. So a key question, how are you being instructed here at MBT? This whole thing has been about learning. How are you being instructed? The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what Paul calls it, the pillar and ground. That means that the church body should be the pillar and ground of truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. So are you sanctified with the word of God. And if, 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 if you're feeling slightly sheepish or embarrassed because the answer is no, or I haven't cared that much, or I haven't cared that much until now, well, then it's actually really simple because MBT makes it really, really easy to do. It starts off with coming here and opening up your Bible and believing that God wants to speak to you and then doing a couple of practical things. Man, take some notes, ask some questions, do you think that the people that we have here, they teach and then everything's just check, check, check. Good. I understand everything. And now I'm set for life, man. Ask yourself some questions, ask them some questions. I wonder what would happen if you said, Hey, Dell, man, can I get on your calendar for coffee? I just want to talk through some of this stuff, take some notes, mark in your Bible, but realize that MBT is a, a church that if you want to, will grow you up quickly. God talks about redeeming the time because the days are evil. Uh, God created space-time. <laughs> and so because he did, he is not bound to a pattern of growth 
that marks an acceleration pattern that we would maybe think would be possible. God can take a year's worth of investment and make it seem as if you've been in your Bible for seven. He can do that. But the question is, is do you want that for your life? God wants to teach you. He's placed you in a teaching, preaching church with plenty of access and opportunity. So what do you want? What do you want? Let's pray. Lord God, I am thankful for Midtown Baptist Temple. God, I'm thankful for this place that's, uh, man, that's, that's invested in me, Lord. Um, the people here have been kind to me, have been kind to my family. And God, I'm just so thankful that we have a healthy church that is reproducing healthy churches. And yet, Lord, you know, it's bittersweet, man. We are just starting in Genesis, and that's a great, powerful, and weird book of the Bible. So I'm kind of bummed that I won't be here. But Lord, uh, my brothers and sisters here will. And God, so I pray just for a couple of things, Lord. I pray first that there would be a realization that there is a practicality to learning your word. Um, Lord, your word says, study to show ourselves reproven unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And if we want to be able to open up the word and know how uh, to parse it out, Lord, um, God, we got to study. And Lord, you've given us every single opportunity. We literally go to a church that started a Bible school. And it's cheap. It's real cheap, Lord. Um, so God, I pray that for those in here that know that there's a next step that they need to make, not so they can check a box, Lord, but because you are a God who loves and who instructs. Uh, God, for those people that know that D1 is their next step, then God, I pray that they would be uh, obedient to what they've heard. For those that know that D2 or LFBI or maybe just showing up, maybe that's the next step. Just showing up, Lord. God, what can't you do? What's too hard for you? Not a thing. So, Lord, I pray that uh, those that are here that know they need to respond, not just do something for something's sake, but actually respond to what's clearly laid out in your word. God, I pray that they would do that. Uh, yeah, that's what I got, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.